are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session. Today we have with us in the studio, Deborah. She's an artist, freelance writer, and professional window cleaner. We'll be right back with Deborah, but first I'd like to talk about friendship. Walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. Helen Keller. I love that quote because it really is the people who are willing to walk in the dark with you that become important when you're in depression and when you're struggling. And years ago, back when I lived in Boston, I had a wonderful group of friends, and every night I went and did something. I'd I'd go to a gallery, I'd go to an opening, I'd do something fun pretty much every single night of the week, and I, I was always saying to my boyfriend at the time, let's just stay home. Let's not do anything. Let's not go out. I don't want to go anywhere. Let's take a break. <laughs> and he'd say, yeah, yeah, let's stay home and watch a video. And then somebody would call, and we'd end up going and doing something. And then we moved to New Hampshire, and we were there for uh, a couple of years, and we had bought, bought an old house, and we were fixing it up, and then we decided to move up there permanently. And when I moved up there, I was like, let's go out, like anywhere, just to do anything. Because there, there was less to do. Restaurants closed at 9 o'clock, and in Boston, that's when you'd go to eat. <laughs> and there weren't any gallery openings, and I didn't have this great, big, huge group of friends. I, my best friend lived 45 minutes away. We'd go skiing together. I'd go over and hang out with her. She had a team of oxen. She'd built her own barn like to support these two-ton animals, and she was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed hanging out together. At that time, I realized... The hundreds of friends I had in Boston, I actually only had five or six. I didn't have hundreds of friends. I had, you know, between five and ten actual friends who continued to check in with me when I moved away. And it was really disheartening at the time. It was the first time I realized your friends are the people who continue to call you when you move away. And then this has happened a couple of different times in my life. I make friends relatively easily. I'm a pretty outgoing person, even with depression. I'm still friendly to people and tend to make friends. And when I moved to Tucson, I didn't know anybody. But my first day here, I got off the plane in that 100-degree heat in August and thought, home. I felt like this is where I live. And I went to the U of A, just stopped by. I was going to go to graduate school there and off the cuff just decided to stop in. One of the professors was in the woodshop and he, he took me on a tour of the whole building and then took me to the graduate studios for sculpture and then he took me to the graduate studios for painting and there were a bunch of graduate students in there and I was like, oh, hi. And they invited me to go out that night and I immediately had something to do and friends in town and had a great time and that's kind of like my start of living here in Tucson. And over the years, I've made a whole bunch of wonderful friends in town. But depression eats away at your friendships. People call and you don't call back. Or you call back a week or two later. Or sometimes not at all, right? And you don't want to go anywhere and you don't want to do anything. And you're not up for stuff. And you're not fun. There's nothing fun about being depressed. You say, oh, sure, yeah, okay. And then the I, I'll, I'll come on Friday. That sounds good. And then Friday rolls around and you can't. You can't. 
you just can't and you call him you say I'm sorry or maybe just don't show if it seems like something that's not that important and it's not just you that's going it's like a group of people and then that friend thinks you're a jerk <laughs> maybe they don't think that maybe they just think oh well I wish you'd called or something to say you weren't coming and over time you, you kind of just feel your friends drop off reasonably they, they shouldn't stick around if I mean, in some ways, it's the friends that are there because it's fun and it's nice to hang out. I mean, they can't help but take it personally if over and over again they think maybe they know you're really social, right? So maybe it's just them. Maybe it's just them that you're not showing up for their stuff. And then after the first couple of years of that, I, I found I, again, had like five friends. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like a litmus test for friends. This is this is who your real friends are. And it does surprise you sometimes which friends continue to call and continue to check in and know that you're not okay. And some close friends are don't always end up being that person for various reasons. And again, good reasons. Maybe they're more sensitive and having you not call and not get back and not be pleasant, that hurts our feelings. And they don't, after a couple years of that, they stop checking in with you. Or maybe they're in their own depression. Maybe they're going through something themselves. I had a friend who her mom died just five months before my dad died. And we kind of mourned together really heavily. Really, really wonderful, close friend. And then we both dealt with our depression differently. I stopped doing much of anything. And she got really, really, really busy. And in that busy craziness, she didn't have as much time for me and I didn't feel like doing anything anyway. And we stopped calling each other. It just happened naturally. She's still one of my dearest friends, but we see each other once a month instead of every day. It's just each other every day, call every day. Sometimes we'd see each other and then go home and then call each other half an hour later because there was something else to say. <laughs> I remember another friend was like, you're going to call Laura? You you just talked to her. <laughs> she said, yeah, I know. I I, but I want to talk to her again. I have something to say to her. <laughs> so I've been thinking about my closest friends, like those lifetime friends that you know are your friends no matter what. Like it's irrefutable. Like they are your friend. You don't have to do anything, say anything, be anything. They're your friend no matter what. And I have, I know which friends those are. And I've collected a few more over the years that I think fall into that category of just like solid lifetime friends and one of them is my best friend from when I was five years old we met and just were instant bosom buddies like the closest of dearest friends we loved each other and understood each other and we used to play all sorts of like with our imaginary friends we would play together she had imaginary mice and I had imaginary bunnies and they would hang out and they'd have crazy adventures <laughs> and I have my best friend from middle school who we went through a um, frenemy stage where in later middle school, she decided that she didn't want to be my friend and like said mean things about me. And to this day, she's like, I don't know why I did that. I'm like, girls do that. I don't know why either. She's like, yeah, but you never said anything mean about me. I said, I don't know. It's not in my nature. And then I have my best friend from high school who's, she's such a kook. She's so fun. Crazy, silly Paula. She just... She has four boys, and she was the one we thought was never going to have children. <laughs> she had four boys in a row instead. She's like, so it turns out she used birth control. <laughs> Otherwise, you have children. And she and her husband, you know, they, they had a good relationship, and then things went south. But we've stayed friends all those years. And then my best friend from college who lives in New Zealand. And 
with all of these, we, we became not best friends when we were in college, but right out of college, she moved to Boston, I moved to Boston, and we would take walks together every single weekend, take a walk in the woods, go somewhere. There's a lot of fun, crazy little hikes we took where we ended up at the highway because we got lost <laughs> or something like that, and then we'd figure out our way back. She did a bunch of international aid work in Africa and Asia, and she'd always come and stay with me when she was between assignments. And that brought us even closer together, like family. She's like, you're more my family than my family because I can rely on you. And I've collected friends in my, you know, adult years since then. But those are the ones that no matter where I live, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, they check in with me. I check in with them. And maybe it's only a couple times a year. Maybe it's just through Facebook. It's amazing what Facebook does. But I always try to see each of them. Whenever I can, once a year, I go back to Michigan and see those three from from that area, from my my best friend from kindergarten and my best friend from fifth grade and my best friend from freshman year. And then my friend in New Zealand, we see each other a little less because it's expensive to go to New Zealand. (laughs) So with that, I think that depression is it's, it's very hard to maintain your friendships and you're already feeling isolated and then you isolate more and then you feel sad because people stop calling. And I guess this, what I'd love to say is thank you to all of those people who kept calling, who kept checking in from my bestest friends from all those years ago and the people who I've said, I'm just depressed, you know, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not getting back to you, but I do love you, and I, your friendship means something to me. And I'd like to end with a quote. A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. Walter Winchell. So I'd like to welcome to the depression session, Deborah. She's an artist, freelance writer, professional window cleaner, a good friend of mine, and all-around fabulous gal. Welcome, Deborah. Good morning, Laura. So what's new with you? Well, I, I think that there needs to be three of me because I have <laughs> a thousand and one projects. Uh, yeah, it's an exaggeration, but you know, uh, there's a, a ton of projects you know going on right now, and I I, I tell people I, I've realized over the recently that I'm the master at overbooking myself. You know, <laughs> so so I often end up with a spell of panic when I look at the whole to do list, and then. Once I don't get around to everything, there's sometimes this defeated little lull where I just have an adult tantrum and want to just sit and play computer games and <laughs> and sulk because I have all this stuff knocking on my door. But yeah, some of that's just a matter of sorting out the most important things, which can be hard to do when it seems like 10 of those things need to be number one. Anyway, and that that in itself can kind of feed into depression too so but I have at, at, at present I have three art projects going on I, I kind of skip around to each one uh, sometimes my attention's kind of like a hummingbird when it comes to things <laughs> I I have the attention span of a hummingbird then <laughs> or the inten- attention span of Monet I uh, switched canvases like every every <laughs> change in light. As the light would change, you'd switch to the next one. <laughs> he was an on plein air uh, artist, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's my excuse? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, three art projects. I'm assisting my fiance with building his window cleaning business, and I go out and accompany him for a few jobs. Um, I've actually started coming to term with a serious fear of heights. I no longer, 
I've got to where I can get more than three quarters of the way up a 30-foot ladder before I stand there and and pray to the window, as he says, for a minute. He (laughs) says, you're going to stand there and pray to the window, or are you going to get busy? (laughs) But... No. So that's that's kind of a big deal, I think, uh, to be dealing with such a fear of heights and actually getting to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm I'm just up in a location right now. Yeah. You know, you're just in another location. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to look at it that way. Keeping in touch with my family more than I had in the past. That's another good thing. And what's his business called? Um, it's ABW Window Cleaning. And yeah. uh, there's there's a website underway yeah. right now. So That's cool. And, and I, I know you're using your artistic talents to help them out. <laughs> right. Uh, some We do some stenciling. I, I actually can do lettering and windows for holidays yeah. uh, with, you know, with the grease pencil window decorations. You know, and then we offer to take them off to once it's time then I, I'm actually using my design uh, capacities for the website, too. So I'm, I'm doing the coding and the design for the website. Yeah, it's interesting because I know my boyfriend is, has his own business, and I end up roving in and helping, too. It's, it's a thing that I feel like it's an expansive thing, like you, like you said, where suddenly you're cat- facing this fear of heights because you're involved with his business, which you wouldn't have expected. It's like you, you have an extra, like I have an extra part of my life. Like every person I've been with, there there opens this little door into another world that I didn't even ever think about. So Deborah, tell us the story of your depression. Well, uh, I'd like to start out by saying I'm, my name's Deborah. I'm 40 years old and I grew up, the postal service would say it was in Rome, Georgia, but it was actually this little community called Shannon, Georgia. I think the census may still only say there's a thousand people there. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, the small place, uh, southern town, textile town, a good deal of the people there were either farmers or they worked in the textile industry. And for that size community, we had six churches and absolutely no bars. One convenience store where you could buy beer, but not on Sunday. So you get the picture. Anyway, my depression goes back about as far as I can remember. Uh, There's probably a, I think I have a pretty prodigious long-term memory because I can remember a few things that happened perhaps when I was three or four years old. But I think through the work I've done over the years, I've realized that the depression actually started as early as five years old. And it, it's, it's been a quite a long time, 35 years of my life, I think, I've actually had experience with depression. I would, it's, it's almost like depression is the leader of a gang or something. It's, it's almost like the, the, the head of a bad gang because I don't think there's anyone who simply suffers from depression. There's usually a number of other things that accompany the depression. And sometimes it takes a few years of examining and kind of kind of digging in and really analyzing your situation and the nature of your depression and you find your triggers and you and you also eventually can get down to the causes, you know, if you have appropriate help and and knowing the cause is a is a your single biggest weapon for knowing how to fix the problem. 
so let's go back. I'll take you with me into my personal time machine here. By the time I was six years old, you know, I was already kind of a low-energy kid sometimes with big spouts of, you know, spurts of mania. I had poor self-image, and more than likely that was related to this depression. And I thought that I was fat, and in spite of no one ever told me that, and I was, I was a normal-sized kid. From every picture that I can look back at, I was a normal-sized kid, but somehow I felt like I was fat, and I felt like I was always less than everybody around me, and so I think that that kind of whatever energy or body language that I put out as a result of that caused me to be a target of bullying, which drove the depression further even more. So uh, I don't think there's anything worse for a kid than to feel isolated. That's one of the worst things for a child. Fast forward to my adolescence. My parents decided to transfer me and my brother to a private school. And I realized that, you know, being a tomboy, realizing that I had to wear dresses to this school really, really put me in a downer. I mean, I was unhappy about that idea really mainly for the fact that I had to wear dresses and people expected me to be quote a little lady and so I we went to the school it was a small school I think that there were about 30 of us but we were from all different grades everything from third grade to one senior in high school I mean and it was really a zoo it was absolutely insane And thinking back about that, I feel especially sorry for our teacher because she had to make all of those different lesson plans and corral this huge span of age groups with the older ones having all their teeming hormones. And (laughs) so anyway, I was very unhappy there and I found my solace in food. So I had this poor self-image for years and years. And then I actually manifested what I thought I was by overeating. I really did become overweight. And so I was, you know, bullied again for being overweight and bullied for being strange and bullied for being a loner and very much an an introspective kind of person. I was caught the brunt of bullies, which drove the depression down and made my, my opinion of myself even worse. So it's this whole snowballing effect that that happens for a lot of people, and I know it's I was certainly a victim of that. But I would excuse myself to go to the bathroom and instead make a little foray down to the cafeteria, and I feel very ashamed to say this, but it's the truth. I, I stole other people's lunches, and part of it was because whatever they had might have looked more interesting. Oh, somebody brought pie today. Wow, I think I'm going to have a bite or two, or the whole thing. And I then I would return back to class. So I'm gaining this weight, plus my parents had opened a restaurant, so I had free food around me all I wanted. And that's where my happiness came from was getting lost in the fantasy of comic books and wishing that 
I could be one of the super heroines in there. But yet I'm stuffing down this food and feeling worse and worse about myself. But yet the food tastes good, so it makes you happy for a few minutes. So once I, my brother looked at me one day and said, God, you're fat. And um, so then I turned to bulimia to take care of the problem and kind of messed up my digestive system for a little bit. Uh, Yeah, the weight started coming off, but I was barely eating anything that I ate. I decided I need to purge this so that I won't be fat. So my health was suffering, my mental health was suffering. Fortunately, I was able to turn it around for a while. By the time I was 14 years old, a friend of mine inspired me to join the track team She was always very sweet and supportive, and she was a runner. So I decided to try to join the track team. I got on. I started losing weight and becoming strong. And I found my talent for art because I thought, well, I'll just take a drawing class. And the teacher there ended up uh, showing me that I had talent and realizing that. Um, So I turned it around for a little while and had a couple of healthy years in high school. But then after I got out of high school and the support went away, the structure went away, and I hit the deepest depression I had to date um, where I spent about five months in the house where all I did was flip through channels on the TV and sleep, and I wouldn't even go out to check my mail. And that was the first time that I actually went to a doctor, was diagnosed and started taking medicines. A few years later, I had been on medicines for a long time and had just been stamping down everything and not dealing with my feelings or the source of my depression or really getting to the heart of the matter. I became a a coke addict on top of it all. Well, now, after a, a couple of years of that, I have this great body, but my sanity's gone. So... I had also started pursuing a career as a machinist in the midst of that, and I ended up losing it all because of the drug addiction, plus friends that had been long-term friends that said, we don't like what you are anymore. We don't like what you're doing with your life. We don't, we can't be with you anymore. So I lost friends. I lost a career, and then I developed panic attacks and stronger mood swings and deeper depressions. So really to sum it up, you know, after approximately 35 years of all of my experiences and the steps that I decided to take to try to save my life, because that's exactly what you could say that a depressive does when they seek help. They're saving their own life. And you learn things that help you and help pull you out of it. I found that regular exercise, getting out, um, I go out and ride my bike for as, as many as 60 mile stretches. Sometimes, of course, you can't just start out there, but you work up to it as a good effort. Feeding myself right and football makes me happy because (laughs) it's loud, it's bright, there's high action. And so, you know, I started learning what worked for me. 
And that's what everyone suffering from depression or, or a mental illness, such as depression, because there are different versions of it and everyone's got their own form of it. You just learn what works for you. Some of it's trial and error, but the most important thing that I would say to anyone is continue to have the courage to work on yourself and explore where the problem lies. Keep your friends by you. Keep your real friends by you. Use all the support you have. I know the Tucson community does have a lot of support for depressives, so I would urge you to love yourself, accept who you are, and only keep the people in your life who can also accept who you are and reach out and grab those support networks. Thank you, Deborah. Great story. You're welcome. I really connect with that. I think everyone feels bullied at some point in their childhood. And it can leave such such scars and such such it seems to me whoever's suffering the most clearly at home or depression or mental illness is the one who's picked on the most. It's almost like insult to injury. <laughs> I remember growing up, you know, there I think girls especially suffer with that thought of like I'm fat and and where where does that come from is it just the media is it messages that we get because we see television you know you said no one ever told you that so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about does that go away or is that something that's like you just have to find coping mechanisms for that part of it too yeah, I, again, I think you just have to accept who you are. And if your depression is part of your personality, it's then you don't look at it as this monkey on your back. It's just a part of who you are. And it's, it's, it's almost like, think of yourself as a high-quality racing car. You have to learn how it handles. You, you learn how it handles. You can't just jump in and drive. And... Yeah. So uh, any kind of assistance that you can find, I mean, if, if it's a higher quality fuel that you have to give yourself, more regular maintenance, wh- whatever that is, that's what you need. Yeah. And don't ever let anybody tell you you're high maintenance, you're needy. Don't listen to that because you're who you are and they should take it or leave it. That's a great note to end this whole show on. And I just want to thank you for coming to the depression session. Thank you for having me, Laura. All right. Have a good day, everybody. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>